0: We're in week eight of this series, and uh, this has been just a really great exploration of, I think, one of the most important passages that we find in Scripture, particularly when it relates to us as the church. Uh, This passage takes us through the book of Acts chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 42 through 47, now listen, that's 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47. You think how can how can that no, small number of verses take this many weeks as we walk through? Well, I like to walk through this slowly because there's so much going on here. Now listen, if you've missed any of these weeks, I do encourage you go back, listen to the teaching. Um, and or send me a message and say, hey, what's kind of the primary points that, that I need to learn from this passage? Because I think what we've learned here is so significant for us because this that we're learning here, this is the story of the birth of the early church. And for us at Southeast, as we experience what is like a rebirth for our church community, this is a time, again, to pause, to stop, to say, hey, listen, what, what do we need to do? Where do we need to put our focus? Because if we look at it and we say, hey, these are the things we want to do, what's going to happen is we're going to move into this next season only, be fo- only being focused on our needs, only being focused on our desires. And that's not the best approach to things. The best approach to things is to, is to say, hey, not what I want to do, but what I need to do. And what we need to do is found here. As we look at this passage and what is it that the early church focused on? And what are these things that, that kind of became the central aspects of faith? And we talked about that. They devoted themselves, it says in verse 42, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now let's continue this whole passage, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Saved. Now, today we're going to look at all the believers were together and had everything in common, and then we're going to move on to verse 45 here, which is our primary. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, to talk about that passage. It's important for us to think about the context of what this was written in. When we look at a passage, you don't just wanna take that passage and say, okay, so here's a prescriptive thing that they did, okay? Instead what we do is we look, we look around the passage. We say, what kind of came before it? What is coming after us that helps us understand and interpret that particular context? Now, what happens then is we go back to this verse that's right before, and that'll help us to see that. And then we're going to go to a story that comes after this section of Scripture, just a couple chapters later, that helps us interpret uh, this particular verse. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Because what if they didn't? What, what if they authentically weren't that? See, Luke in this passage is describing this kind of utopian experience. He, he's taking a pause in this moment as he's telling this story, which, again, I've told you before, is Luke and Acts. Tells the, Luke tells the story of Jesus. Acts tells the story of the early church. And in Acts, we find this 10-year history. And it's crazy when you think about it that way because you could sit down and you could read the book of Acts and you're really reading 10 years of the life of the church. And in that moment, especially in Acts 2, Luke takes a break. Normally, he writes at this frantic pace, telling us all these things that are happening. He's just a great historian, writing all this down. But then in this passage, he pauses. And you can almost feel Luke switching over from from this idea of being very committed to historic writing down of things to taking a pause. It's like a personal reflection And he writes this down. He's saying, listen, I don't want you to miss what's going on here. I don't want you to miss this moment. And then he goes on and he tells us more about the early church. And so today, to to understand the context of they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, we're going to look at a very uncomfortable story. But before we do that, I want to talk about how do we approach weird and uncomfortable stories because I love to do that. One of of the things that I enjoy about being a pastor, particularly at Southeast, is that we're always willing to lean into the stories that seem weird or uncomfortable or strange, because so much learning can happen there. Now, a scholar and teacher that I just absolutely love is a guy named Pete Enns. Pete created a podcast called The Bible for Normal People, He's written several books, and those books have a prominent location on my bookshelf. And the reason for this is because how Pete writes and approaches the Bible is defined by this quote um, of how he defines himself. He says this about himself. Pete says, I like to ask questions, and I don't like quick, safe answers to make the hard questions go away. I love that. I like hard I like to ask hard questions. I don't like quick, safe answers to make the hard questions go away. I think that is a great way for us to be. And then a little bit later on, he's going to come to this quote that he makes, um, as the pastor of Southeast, I love this. I love that this approach because this is my approach too. I want us as a church. I want us as a people growing in our faith to ask hard questions to not simplify things down to easy answers. So when something we read is complicated, when something is difficult, when something pushes back on our modern sensibilities, my approach is always to lean in. And that's my suggestion to you. Lean in when things get hard. Lean in when they're difficult or uh, complicated. Lean in when they push back on your modern sensibilities. That's okay. And ask some questions ask some questions like this. What is the context? Why did the author write that? What does it tell us about how the ancient authors understood their world? And how does that impact us today? Now, in a video that I watched from Pete this week, he succinctly described our task with these words that Jill just put up. And I want her to put those up again. Listen to these words. The Bible is often not the problem. Now, just keep that up, Jill, because listen to this, guys. The Bible is often not the problem. So oftentimes, when something's complicated, difficult, or pushes back, we think the Bible is the problem. No, no, the Bible is not the problem. Listen to how he continues. It's our expectations of the Bible that have become problematic. The truth is theology is never based simply on what the text says. Texts don't speak. They always have to be interpreted. It's about the interaction between Scripture in its context and us in our context. That is the complex work of theology. Now, we're going to do some theology today. We're going to interpret and ask how an ancient text that has some problematic pieces for us can speak to us today. And if you stick with me, you're going to be challenged by this passage. This passage is going to raise some serious questions for us. But it's gonna show us something we need to learn about being the church that God wants us to be. Now to get into that, we have to go back to this verse in Acts two. Last week, I talked about how Luke described the newly birthed church in Acts in these utopian terms. And he did this because it's the language that his audience would have understood. We find that language in verse thirty four of the passage that we've been reading during the series. Listen to this again. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with the awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And listen to this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. So when Luke's audience heard that language, all the believers were together and had everything in common, it would have reminded them of the way philosophers describe the origin stories of Athens and Rome, because Luke's audience was a Greek audience. They didn't know the Bible. They didn't know the Hebrew scriptures. What they knew was their stories. What they knew was their origin stories of Athens and of Rome. What they knew was Greek philosophy. And so Luke leans into that reality. He says, I'm going to present the gospel to you in your terms. Man, that is something so huge that all of us could learn about sharing the good news of Jesus with our world. But listen what he says. He says, or what, it, what it's telling us is this, utopian language wasn't historically descriptive. We, we know that that's not true of Athens and Rome. We know that there was some probably some struggles in the, the New Testament church about this. In fact, we read that later on. But what the utopian language was meant to do was to be inspiration. What Luke was doing was he was using it to paint a picture of origins, new beginnings, and fresh starts. Now, coupling this language with the story of the early church would have told Luke's audience that this newly birth church. This, this new community of people represented a new start for humanity. It represented a new start for people, that they could be start a part of a new beginning, of something fresh, of something new in this world. And that's not hyperbole. The bold claim of the resurrection of Jesus for the people in the first century, for the people throughout history, and for you and me today is that something new has taken place. This is why we talked about during the Apostles' Creed series, why the resurrection matters. The resurrection of Jesus says something new is taking place. A new reality is now present. We call that the kingdom of God. And it's a belief that we are called as citizens of a new kind of reality. Now, I've described it this way, and I think this is an important distinction for us to understand. The kingdom of God is not a political reality. It's not something that we try to set in place. It's a way in which we live. If I believe in the eternal love of God, I'm going to love. If I believe in the eternal joy of heaven, I'm going to live with that kind of joy, If I believe that in heaven there is no disease, poverty, or hate, I'm going to live my life today to rid the world of those things. And if I believe in mercy, love, and grace, I'm going to live to bring those things in this world today. If I'm praying for God's kingdom to come to this earth, for his will to be done around me, I'm going to pray that his will is done through me, and his kingdom is lived out within me. See, this puts the the, the responsibility on us to live as kingdom people. This isn't an idea that, listen, listen, do what you can to create this reality, forcing others into this reality. Instead, he said, no, 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 no. You live out this reality. You captivate people with the living out the way of Jesus. What is the way of Jesus? Jesus. It's love, it's grace, it's mercy, it's forgiveness, it's acceptance, it's inclusion. This is what the way of Jesus looks like. That is what we're called to live out. And this is what captivated people who lived and worked around those people who gave their lives to Jesus. This new community of believers that we call the church that we read about in the first century. Luke described what happened in early church as they captivated people with their lives. It goes on, it says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Except what happened when they didn't? What happened when they didn't live this out? What happens when people claim to be part of this new kind of community, but aren't actually committed to it? What if it's all a show that is more about belonging, but not really about believing and becoming? And we would call that hypocrisy, a word that comes to us from the Greek word for acting. Now, just a few chapters later, Luke describes this hypocrisy in a chilling story. And I told you, this is a weird story. This is an uncomfortable story, but it's a story we need to ask. Because Luke is saying, listen, people are captivated by the people of God when they live in authentic community together, when their lives are given fully to the way of Jesus. But what happens when they say one thing and say, hey, I'm a part of this new thing, but they don't really live it out? That's what this story is all about. And again, it's weird, it's awkward, it's strange, it's uncomfortable. And as Pete N. says, hey, lean into it. Do some theology. What is it and in its context tell us about us living in our context. So with that said, Acts 5. Verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Okay, so do you see? He just said that the people were selling property, they were giving things away right, and now we come to this story. So now we have a story, now we have an example of this. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had needs. So we have a they, we have a a, a group of people. Now we get some specifics. So it says, uh, Ananias and and together with his wife, wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said. That is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Holy Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in, finding her dead, carried her out, buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. You think? Like that is like, this is again, one of those stories where they say something and then they leave like this little verse at the end. Great fear seized the whole church. Yeah. I mean, this is a story that people were just dropping dead. So sometimes I say, hey, listen, I think we need to look like the early church. And people will say, hey, maybe if the church looked more like the early church. Um, so this is the early church. So maybe we should ask a little bit, okay, is there something we can learn from this? Is, is this what, what's going on here? Because this is strange. This is uncomfortable. This says, I'm not so sure about this. So let's dig in a little bit. Let's see what's going on here because this is a fascinating story. Now, my daughter Emily was talking to me about what I was preaching this week because one of the first questions that comes up is a question that she helped me to answer. And I love talking to her about sermons because she asks great questions. She is a little theologian. And those questions usually that she asks, they usually lead me to dig deeper into the texts that I'm studying. So this week, you know, we were talking about it, and I said, hey, this week I'm preaching about the story of Ann and, and his wife Sapphira, and she said, what? tell me about the story. So I read her the story, and we talked about the story a little bit, and then one of the things that I asked that, that, that I think is a common, incorrect assumption about this text is this. That question was this. I said, hey, Emily, I said, why did God kill Ananias and Sapphira? And I was so proud of her when she looked at me. She said, he didn't. It never said that. Wait a minute. Now, I I grew up reading this story. Like, and I remember all through high school and college reading this story and going, oh man, this is a really scary story. I've heard sermons preached that use this story in a really abusive way to talk about money as they completely miss the point as I'll talk about in just a few minutes. This isn't about money. Not completely. And it's not about God killing people because they didn't give. That's a ridiculous. Ridiculous approach to this passage, and Emily points that out. Who killed Ananias and Sapphira? We don't know. That's not what Luke is telling us. But what we do know for sure is God didn't. Because what Emily said, the text never says that. See, that's correct. The text never assigns the cause of the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira to God. But that's where we get stuck. That's one of the places that we say, I'm out. I can't read this story. We can't get past that this story is about two people who died because they didn't give money to the apostles. But if that's all we see, we're going to miss the point. The story is about money. But the issue is the hypocrisy and the lies. So let me be very clear. God did not kill Ananias and Sapphira. So let's start there. Yeah, it's weird. They died. That's a weird story. What is the point that Luke is trying to teach us? The second thing is this. This is not about them dying because they didn't give money to the apostles. That's not what's going on here. This story is about hypocrisy. This story is about lies. And Peter was all fired up because Peter knew about hypocrisy. So when he looks at Ananias and he says, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? When he goes off on him and, and says, how could you do this? How could you be such a hypocrite? When he talks to, to, to Ananias' wife, Sapphira, and he says, how could you conspire to test the Holy Spirit? And he says, hey, your husband just died. You're probably going to die too. Like, that is some rough stuff. Some people are probably looking at Peter going, whoa, Peter, maybe bring it down a notch. But Peter understood. Peter absolutely understood why hypocrisy and lies were such a critical thing. See, Peter is one who followed Jesus. But when things got tough the night that Jesus was arrested, it was Peter who denied knowing Jesus. Authenticity mattered to Peter because he knew the devastation of hypocrisy. Do you hear that? Let me say that again for us. Authenticity mattered to Peter because he knew the devastation of hypocrisy. Let's read his story. Luke 22, verse 55. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, said, This man also was with him, and him being Jesus. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval, about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly, this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord and how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. That's Peter's story. And Peter, now leading the early church, after receiving grace from Jesus, watch these people come before him. Claiming that they sold a piece of land to help care for others in their community. And rather than tell the truth that they had kept some of that money for themselves, they put on a show. And they claimed in that moment that they had given all of it. See, the hypocrisy is the problem. If they kept all the money, that's fine. If they kept some of the money, that's fine. If they gave it all, man, that would have been great because that's what these people were doing. That's what made such an impact in the early church. But instead, Ananias and Sapphira lied. They put on this show claiming that they were fully invested while only having one foot in the door. Listen to that, they put on a show. They claimed, hey, I'm fully invested in what's going on here. Yet they only had one foot in the door. One of my favorite authors sums up the story like this. He says it was never about the money, was it? It's all about the participation. It's about a new kind of world. It's about each of us doing our part wherever we're able to contribute to the common good. I'm not going to act like the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira doesn't make me ask some hard questions. It's weird. And yes, the story does center around money, and that's uncomfortable for us. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to allow weird and uncomfortable to cause me to miss the point of the story because weird and uncomfortable is where we often learn the most. So as we've leaned into this story, what is it that we learn? We learn this. The power of this story, when we allow it to speak into our lives, when we read this story and we look at it in our context and we look at ourselves in our context and we say, I want this story to speak to me today. How does this inspire? How does this challenge? How does the Holy Spirit reveal some things about me that I need to hear? Well, the power of the story is the danger of hypocrisy. And it's about the invitation to be authentic, to not just act like we belong, but to believe and become as we belong. And we learn from this story that nothing will kill faith, nothing will kill our faith, kill our community, and kill our witness to those around us more than hypocrisy. I've repeated a couple things today and I'm going to repeat that again because I want to be as clear as I can about this. We are in a season we, we are a newly birthed church again for the first time (laughs) 10 years ago we started this community and we needed people to be committed to what we were doing and it's the same place that we find ourselves today we enter a season where i believe the good news that we have to share with this community is maybe more important in this season than ever before Maybe these last 10 years were preparing us for this moment, for this place, and all this great ministry that we did was building a foundation for us to enter this next season to share the good news of Jesus with our community. And we cannot do it halfway, and I can't do it halfway, and we as a church can't do it if you're only in this thing halfway. Nothing will kill faith. Nothing will kill our church community. Nothing will kill the witness of Southeast to those around us more than hypocrisy. So here's my challenge. If you say that you belong to this church community, fully participate in every aspect of the life of this community. From worship to service to fellowship, participate fully in the life of this community. If you say you love others, love all those who belong to this community and welcome others you don't know like they are old friends. There is no place in this community clicks. There is no place in this community to say, I don't want to be in a church with those people. That's not going to happen as long as I'm the pastor of this community because that's hypocrisy and that will kill our community. We are going to learn to be people who live with love, And we are going to learn to be people when we experience differences in our lives to come together and show grace and mercy and forgiveness and justice to each other. Because then the world looks at us and says, there's something different going on at that place and I want to be a part of it because in all of my life, I experience all of this stuff, but something different is going on there with people. So if you say you belong to this community, participate fully in every aspect, worship, service, and fellowship. If you love others, love all those, welcome people you don't know like they're old friends Come into our moments as we gather in fellowship. Come into our moments as we uh, go to different events, like uh, as we do our trunk or treat, as we do our movie nights, as we go to any 11 games, as we go to baseball games, as we serve in our community. If you don't know someone, welcome them like they are an old friend and say, I'm so glad that you're here. I can't believe I didn't know you. And why would you do that? Because you are brothers and sisters in Christ. You are not just strangers to each other. The Holy Spirit unites us in a way that none of us can ever comprehend. But if we don't open the door to experience those kind of relationships, we'll never experience how special that can be. And finally, guys, this. Most of all, if you claim to follow Jesus and you believe in the resurrection of Jesus and you believe that a new reality is present in this world, then that new reality starts with you. Grace, generosity, love, mercy, justice aren't for someone else to do. Listen to that again. Grace, generosity, love, mercy, justice. It's not somebody else's responsibility. It's when you fully live that. that we become the church that we're meant to be. When you live out, fully live out, participating in the life of this community, in worship and fellowship and in service, when you fully invest in this community, in building relationships with other people in this community, experiencing grace and love and forgiveness and friendship and brotherhood and sisterhood. And when you live out grace and mercy and love, when you learn and explore the way of Jesus, when you become who God created you to be, when you do all of that, not just pieces and out of it, not just the parts that you say you want to do, when you do all of it, then we, as a whole, become the church that God has created us to be. See, that's what this story teaches us today. Who are we going to be? Are we going to be people halfway committed with one foot in the door like Ananias and Sapphira? Or are we going to be authentic people, fully committed, who are going to experience things we could never imagine? as God works in and through us as a church, as a community of people fully committed to loving God, loving others, and bringing life to our community. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for this passage today. This passage that makes us stop and pause and question, wonder. This passage that makes us uncomfortable. God, this passage that teaches us the danger of hypocrisy and the value of being all in. God, I ask that you would challenge us this week, that you would speak to us. Help us see those places where we're questioning our commitment. Help us to recognize the grace and love and forgiveness you offer. And help us to see the value of being a part of what you're doing in this world through our church community that is part of something so much greater that you are doing through the kingdom of God in this world. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.